You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Relentless. When we truly experience the healing power of Jesus, we cannot hold ourselves back from sharing the good news. If this is the case, then why do so many of us become reserved in talking about Jesus with those who need Him? Well, I want to share a story from the book of Mark about a man who met Jesus and even under the instruction of Jesus, could not keep his interaction to himself. We're in week two of Relentless. In fact, why don't you just turn to your neighbor and say, Relentless. Relentless. And you heard Pastor David say it earlier, but it's so true. Since Jesus was relentless in his pursuit of us, we then should be relentless in our pursuit of others. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40, we read this. It says, And a leper came to Jesus imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, so be clean. And immediately the leprosy left the man and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And this is what Jesus said. Look at what he says. He said, don't tell anybody about this. That's what he says. See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for yourself a cleansing of what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But look at what the man did. Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the good news. So Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So basically, a leprous man came up. And I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but if you were a leper, you, you, you had to be followed by somebody. I'm sorry, you had to follow somebody if you were entering into a town that rang a bell and yelled something to the effect of unclean. Now, I, I, I know that some of us struggle maybe with like feeling worthless or maybe you're in high school and you're like, I'm not very popular. But I can tell you, you have never had somebody ring a bell announcing you are unworthy and gross before you walked into a room, right? That's probably never happened. Unclean, get out of the way, here she comes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's probably never happened to you. But that was the life of this man. All alone, completely all alone. And so Jesus says to him, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to heal you. Don't go tell anybody about it. I haven't had lunch yet. I need to go in and stop at Wendy's before I take off out into the desert. Okay, so just wait till I'm done. Um, and the man's like, okay, sounds good. Then turns around and goes and tells everybody about Jesus Christ. He could not help it, which goes to prove this point. And, and this is, if you're taking notes this morning, we're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. We're going to take these notes, plug into our Sea Life group later this week, because Sunday's just the start for us. Here's what I want you to write down, and this is important. It proves this point, that at the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to the gospel is Christians who fail to share the gospel. Think about that. At the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to the gospel is Christians who fail to share the gospel. Now, you might give me a little bit of pushback on that and say, like, well, listen, I kind of disagree. Like, society's changed. Society is different. You know, kids these days. Like, I just, nobody wants to hear about the Bible. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. You know, things have changed. But here's my question. Have you ever wondered why that is? Have you ever wondered why it is that people have shifted from a biblical worldview into a, into a, uh, a postmodern, secular, humanistic type of worldview. Have you ever wondered? Here's the question. How did that happen? Sure, we're all born fully depraved. Scripture would affirm that. There's nothing good inside of us. We would believe that. But, but there was a day and time when this wasn't the case, right? There was a day and time, like I remember growing up and... Uh, 
like after church, my dad's, my daddy's a pastor, and so I was raised in a, in a Baptist church, but I remember like after service, we would, we would struggle to go find somewhere to eat after church. You remember those days? Everything was shut down. Like you, you couldn't, it was like, oh man, better get your chicken on Saturday because nothing's going to be open on Sunday because everybody's at church. I, I remember the day when we used to pray inside of schools, and not just Christian schools, mind you. You know that? You remember, how many of us remember that? Growing up, remember we used to pray before school? The principal would come over the announcement and they'd pray, you know? Now, I'm not saying everybody was digging it. A lot of people were rolling their eyes, but you get the point. In fact, I remember growing up in public school and standing up and doing the Pledge of Allegiance and the Pledge to the Christian Flag. You remember that? You think about that now. What has happened? I mean, that, that changed pretty fast, didn't it? That changed pretty quickly. I mean, I remember when there was a day and a time when our, when our governmental leaders could stand up and talk about Jesus, Jesus, without fear of repercussion. But now, it catches your ear when you hear somebody in authority mention the name of Jesus. What happened? I think the easiest answer is really the most obvious answer. We, as a Christian people, we became comfortable in our complacency. We became comfortable in our complacency. We believed that all things would just stay as all things were, right? We believed that, that we didn't really need to sacrificially make any moves to go and continue to share the gospel. We thought that everything was fine. We took what we had for granted. Would you, anybody there, are you, are you agreeing with me, yes or no? We took what we had for granted. My grandma, my grandma used to say this, when you take things for granted, the things that you were, you were granted get taken. When you take things for granted, the things you were granted get taken. As a Christian nation governed with Christian values, driven largely from a biblical worldview, we had that taken because we became complacent, because we took the blessings that God had granted to us for granted. Now, here's the problem. That was the easy answer. That was the most obvious answer. I believe the second answer is much more devious and much more telling. Uh, the, 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 the speaking of how culture got away from us and shifted from a biblically driven wor worldview to a postmodern, secular, humanistic worldview. Um, here, here's the second answer. And just kind of brace for this. This is kind of strong. And before you start throwing things at me, let me just explain, okay? Here it is. I believe that we became comfortable in our idolatry. Ooh, that sounds like an Old Testament answer, doesn't it? When's the last time you used the word idolatry? But I believe that this is the case. We became comfortable or we became okay with idolatry. Now, let me just explain what I mean by this. What I'm saying is that at some juncture, at some intersection, somewhere along the way, we became okay with the idolatry of others. And, and, and so one of, the, one of the reasons that we don't engage in evangelism, one of the reasons that we don't engage in sharing the gospel today with other people is, is that we don't really mind that other people have another religion. Now, we don't, we don't even really mind that other people don't have any religion or they might be atheistic. We don't, we don't mind that. It's, it's okay with us. After all, it's their life. They can do what they want with their life, choose how they want to live. And we've become like conditioned to this, have we not? From a young age, we hear this word preached to us over and over. What is it? Tolerance. 
tolerance, tolerance. It's echoed in our schools. It's echoed in our movies. It's echoed in our award shows. It's, it's in our government, in our books, and even in many of our churches. We need to be tolerant. We need to be more tolerant. We believe that we need to be more tolerant of one another than ever before, more tolerant of our beliefs and our belief structures than ever before. And listen, let me just say this, okay? Listen, I am totally down with being tolerant as long as being tolerant means that we can disagree agreeably. I believe, I believe in that. The problem is, that's not what tolerance means anymore. When, when you're told to be tolerant, that's, that's not what it means. Um, you can't disagree with what I say or you're intolerant. I, I can't disagree with you at all or that is intolerance. Today's understanding of tolerance is that I embrace your truth as f- firmly as I embrace mine. Are you hearing me? You hear the problem with that? Today's definition of tolerance is that I embrace your truth as firmly as I embrace mine. So back to the point, the idea that we should be bothered or, or provoked by the idolatry we see all around us in our culture is, is foreign to us. Not only is it foreign to us, but we have been trained, we have been conditioned since birth that if, that if we feel provoked by the idolatry around us, alarm bells start going off in our head. Let me explain what, what I mean by this, and it's going to get very real very quick, okay, but just hang tight with me. Here's what, it, here's what it kind of means. When these alarm bells start going off and you start feeling like, am I intolerant? And, and then you're like, I feel wrong, I feel bad. You drive by a, a mosque in your city, and something, as a follower of Christ, something doesn't sit well with you. And you're like, Ugh. and then you listen to your friends, and you're like, you need to be tolerant. And then you, and then you listen to the media, and they're like, you need to be tolerant. And then you're like, oh man, I'm 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 wrong. I'm a I'm a really awful person. But no, actually, you're not. You were rightly provoked by the idolatry you saw. Do you understand me? God says that He will not share His glory with another. So why should that be okay? With us. And if you want to see where you honestly land on this, if you, if you really want to see where you are, to see if you've truly been conditioned, here's the question I would ask you. Would it be okay with you if your children worshipped a false god? Would it be okay with you? Would that be all right with you? No. Of course not. So if it's not okay that, that my children don't worship a false god, then let me ask you, why would it be okay for, why would it be okay with me that anybody's children worship a false god? If it's not okay with me that my children, I don't want my children to go to hell. I mean, I don't think any of us would like raise our hand and be like, oh, I want that. I don't think anybody would. And so my point is, if it's not okay with me that my children don't go to hell, why would it, why should it be okay with me that your children do or somebody else's in, in their religion do? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to see people die without Jesus Christ and go to hell in the name of tolerance. Is is that the type of humanity that God envisioned? Is that the type of tolerance that we're called to? May we never be okay with people serving other gods. Because what do we know? There is, as scripture says, only one true God. 
And he says, I will not share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with another. So, so that's what happened. That's what got us to where we are today, a post-Christian nation born out of complacency and apathy where Christians are overly concerned with making sure that they're being tolerant and less concerned with making sure that they're being honest. So, super uplifting introduction today. Welcome to our church. So, a lot of times you hear people rant and rave about it, and then they say, so, see you later, pray about it and get better. Like, right? Like, what? No, you can't do that to me. What do we do about this? What do we do? I'm glad you asked. Jump over to the book of Acts. We're going to go to scripture for the answer here. In a brief amount of time, we're going to go through this. Acts. And as you're turning over there, I want you to understand Paul. Paul is traveling around with his buddies, uh, Silas and his protege, Timothy. And he leaves them in the city of Berea, and he goes on to Athens. And we're going to pick up there. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16, says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for his friends at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Let me hear you say it nice and loud, the word provoked. Provoked. He was, something was, he got disgruntled. Something didn't sit right. It was more than just Chipotle. It was a spiritual thing. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Number one, what do we do about where we are? Number one, we need a renewed jealousy for God's glory. We need a renewed jealousy for God's glory. Paul is provoked. In other words, Paul is jealous for God's glory when he sees this city of idols. Now, I heard an interview with Oprah one time where she talked about where she really departed from the Christian faith. She was still claiming that Jesus Christ is, is, is a God, but there are many paths to God, right? And she's interviewed and and. And she said, I was in a country church once, and I sat down when I was young, and I heard the, pa- the, 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 the pastor get up and say, God is a jealous God. And I thought to myself, well, why would he be jealous? Well, I'll tell you why. I wish Oprah could sit in on our, our sermon today, because it's quite simple. You and I, we get jealous. We're envious over something that somebody has that we want. When God is jealous, he's envious over something that is rightfully his. God is envious. God is jealous For what is his? What is his, you say? His glory. All things were created for him, by him, and through him to bring him glory. The earth and everything that is in it, your life and how you live, were designed to bring God glory. And Paul walks through this city and he sees the idolatry, the idols and the temples and and all these places set up. And all of a sudden something is provoked. And I'm telling you that we need a renewed jealousy for God's glory. I remember my first time being in, a, uh, being in a predominant Muslim nation for the first time. My wife and I some years ago. And we stayed in this really nice uh, hotel. And I remember being woken up very early. We had, our, we had our balcony doors open and being awoken very early by the call to prayer. I don't know if you've heard that before. And it was very loud it was very loud, and I didn't know where I was when I woke, I woke up, and I was like, what's going on? I already have a hard enough time waking up. Let's just be honest about that. But I woke up, and there were these very loud calls to prayer that I was very unfamiliar with in this Muslim nation. And I got up, and I walked out on my balcony, and I saw people bowing, and, I saw, and it's just echoed through the whole city. And I'm going to be honest with you, it sent chills like up my spine Something bothered me about it. Something was provoked inside of me about it. You're like, wow, aren't you holy? Nope, here's my problem. After like three days of being there, I didn't even notice it anymore. 
it just became something that happened a few times a day. I didn't even, I didn't even really hear it. It didn't even really bother me. And that's how we all are, is it not? That's how we all are. We become jaded to it. And that's just not it, because it's a progression. Tell me if you've noticed this, this progression before. We become jaded to it. We're not bothered by the idolatry of others. And then after a little while, not only are we not bothered by the idolatry of others, we begin to pride ourselves on being accepting of the idolatry of others. Well, I have my religion. You have your religion. We can still, isn't that beautiful? No, actually it's not. No. No. No, it, it's, it's not. Paul is provoked by this idolatry. But I also want you to notice that he's not provoked by the idolatry of just individuals. He's provoked by the idolatry of a city. Look at this, point number three. Point number two, rather. We need a renewed passion for people to meet Jesus. What do we do? We need a renewed jealousy for God's glory. Point number two, we need a renewed passion for people to meet Jesus. Jealousy for God's glory. I've met people like this where they're jealous for God's glory and they're overly jealous, right? Like they want to change the laws and they want to change the, what, what you can see in a town. And it's kind of like the movie Footloose where it's like, no one can dance. That's what, like, like you know what I'm talking about? Like this. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, um, like, that, that I desire that nobody should have the right to worship in the way that they want to. No, I live in America, and I'm thankful for that. What, what I'm saying is that within a passion for people to meet Jesus, I want people to not desire to worship false gods. It's not that I want to forbid my children from doing this or that. It's that I want my children to not desire to do those things. I want our children, I want these children, I want your children to not desire to do those things. When you have a jealousy for God but not a passion for people, you end up picketing a pride parade. When you have a jealousy for God but you don't have a passion for people, you end up screaming at an unwed pregnant teenage girl. When you have a jealousy for God but you don't have a passion for people, you end up going to a, to a funeral of, 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 a, of, a, of someone in the army and yelling the most atrocious things. And I want you to know those things break the heart of God. Those things absolutely, unequivocally, completely break the heart of God. In essence, when you fail to have a passion for people to meet Jesus, you become a church that completely and miserably fails in representing Christ himself. Did Jesus not have a passion for lost people? Did Jesus not desire for those far away from him to be drawn close? And let me just ask you this. If you don't have a passion for seeing people meet Jesus, why are we, do, why are we doing this? What are we doing? Why do you bring your family to church with you? Why do you bring your kids? Why do you bring your husband? Why do you bring your wife? Please tell me that your passion for people to meet Jesus goes beyond your own family. Please, tell me that your passion for people to meet Jesus goes beyond your own skin color. Please, tell me that your passion for people meet, to meet Jesus extends beyond your front door. Please, tell me that it's not okay that anyone around you should die without knowing Jesus Christ. It's not okay. Whether it's within our home, 
within our church, or within the mosque down the street. Jesus calls all men to repent to the one true God. Point number three, we need a renewed compassion for the lost. Acts chapter 17, the first portion here, it says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. Now, that makes sense. Jews were his peeps. They were his people. He used to be a Jew, called out of, called out of it to be a minister for Jesus Christ. And so, of course, he's going to go and he's going to tell the Jews about Jesus Christ because he was, had a compassion for the lost. His people keep reading. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and, how many of you know that and can make a, 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 a big difference in any statement? Yes? Hey, Dad, I'm home safe. Great, son. And I wrecked your car. Like that and can really be a big deal. It's, it's like, hey, you know I love you. And I think we're better off friends. It's like that and is really can be a, okay, you get my point. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and, say and, and the devout person. Say and, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Paul had a unique passion for his own people, and that's fine. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a unique passion for my own people. I have a unique passion for the people that are closest to me, my family, my friends, my relatives. I have a unique passion, and that's fine unless that's where it ends, and then it's not. That can't be where a passion or a compassion for those people ends. And for Paul, it doesn't. He goes into the synagogue, and, and he doesn't just look for Jews in the synagogue. He looks for everybody. He doesn't say, I just want Jews to be saved. He says, I want everybody to be saved. The rest of you guys, everybody. He's in the synagogue. He's in the marketplace. He's talking with anybody that he can talk to. Paul didn't care who you were, didn't care where you were from. Why? Because Paul had compassion for the lost, whoever they were, wherever they were, from all of them, every last one of them, every single last one. And I'm telling you, church, we need a renewed compassion for lost individuals. We need a renewed compassion, not just a passion to see people meet Jesus. We need a renewed compassion for the lost. Look at what he says here, starting in verse 22. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in, in every way you are very religious. I love that statement. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. See, compassion for the lost is different than this new tolerance. The new tolerance says, hey, they have a religion. Respect it. They're good. Leave them be. Paul walked around, saw they had a religion, and said, hey, you know what you're worshiping? I'm going to tell you how it really works out. Hey, I saw that idol you had set up that said to an unknown God, I'm about to take what was unknown to you and make it known to you. He was not okay with them worshiping false idols when he knew the truth. My question for you today is this. Can you be okay knowing that people are worshiping false gods in our community? Can you be okay with the state of their soul? Is it all right? Is it okay? Does it provoke you? Does it move you? Does it move you to passionate uh, desire to see them meet Jesus? Does it move you to have compassion for their souls? All through history, God has used these three elements to awaken revival, renewal, and great moves of God in the world. He's raised up men and women and given them, given them a jealousy for his glory. He's given them a passion to seek out and save the lost. 
and he's given them a compassion for people who are far from him. My prayer is today, as we get ready to move into this Easter season, that you would have a new fire inside of you. Do you hear me, church? That God would ignite something that has either laid dormant in your heart for a long time or never truly been lit on fire to begin with. That God would ignite inside of each and every one of you a jealousy for God's glory. That he would ignite inside of each and every one of us a passion to see people meet Jesus. And that he would ignite inside of you a new compassion for people who are far from him. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.